Investing in real estate has been a time-tested strategy for building wealth. Particularly, real estate investments can generate quote-unquote passive income. And with great passive income strategies, you can make money in your sleep. At least that's the hope, right? What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. I know there are plenty of places for you to be listening, and I'm so happy that you are here with our community taking control over your finances. Now, the real estate market is great for physician investors looking for passive income. Now, we know that there's no real such thing as passive income, but there are ways to achieve or get closer to that passive income that we're all thinking and reading and dreaming about. Traditionally, investors purchase homes and then rent them out for rental income. Now, with the rising popularity of investing in real estate, more people, I think, can actually benefit from diversification of investing in real estate, specifically syndications. And if you don't know what a syndication is, then you are in luck because our next guest, one of the smartest people I know, Kathy Carroll, who's an MD and a CFA, that just means she's absolutely freaking brilliant. She's going to go over a couple of the options in detail to help you select one of the many ways that you could invest in real estate so you can kind of figure out what works best for you. Now, she's the founder of Rica.io. It's R-Y-C-A dot I-O. And she's changing the way investors choose to invest in syndications by extensively researching the syndications that she recommends. And that will give you peace of mind and allow you to invest with confidence. Now, before we jump right in, let's take a second to pull back the curtain a bit on another topic that will impact you. Now, while it's nice to be able to invest in real estate, you won't be able to fit it in your finances if you aren't on the best track. And that's why you should figure out what your bad financial habits are now before they get really bad. Now, Jimmy Turner, our friend, the physician philosopher, who's also a physician, has put together a course to help residents in our audience go from the medical degree to financially free. Lots of actionable steps to take. It's interactive. It's a ton of fun. I was lucky enough to help participate in one of the bonus videos talking about life planning. So if you're interested in becoming financially independent, I encourage you to join the course at financialresidency.com slash MD free. And if you do so, you'll get a free 30 minute call with me that we can literally talk about anything, including puppies. Don't worry, I'll hook you up. All right, let's now get on the show and talk with Kathy Carroll about passive real estate investing. Kathy, welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. Happy to have you back. Thank you. It's good to be back. One of my smartest guests ever, not only an MD, but a CFA as well. So it's going to be fun chatting through some real estate. Last time we talked about locums and all the cool stuff you've been doing with your day job, let's call it. But we've got some really good information as you are an active real estate investor. You've invested tons and tons of real estate. We nerd out on this stuff all the time offline. So we said, hey, let's come chat online on air about this. So today we're going to be talking about passive income and earning passive income from real estate. And that's kind of a key buzzword, if you will, out on the blogosphere in the podcast world. But what are some of the ways that people can earn passive income from real estate? Well, there's a lot of options. The ones that most people are familiar with are the ones that you'll find if you do a quick web search. So most people have heard of a REIT. They might not really know what it is. And then along those same lines, there's a real estate ETF. Then, of course, there's the crowdfunding. 
that most people have heard about. And then there are syndications, which is my personal favorite. And we'll talk a little bit about what the differences are. Yeah. So real estate investment trusts. Let's walk through what a real estate investment trust is and how someone would invest in or why someone would invest in this. So it's a, a bit like a, a mutual fund. A mutual fund buys a basket of stocks and then you buy a piece of the mutual fund. The real estate investment trust or a REIT is essentially the same thing. They tend to specialize in one thing. For example, they might buy just multifamilies. They might buy office buildings. They might buy timberlands. Some of them might specialize in buying mortgages. Some do a bit of both. So if you buy a share of a REIT, what you're buying is a share of a company that then owns properties or makes loans or both. You don't own the properties yourself, just like you don't directly own Apple if you buy an S&P 500 mutual fund. So the mutual fund or the REIT in this case is going to pool the investor's money to invest in properties. You then make money a couple of different ways. You can have appreciation just like you would in a mutual fund, but you're also going to have passive income. And the passive income is going to be from a dividend or a distribution is a better word that the REIT will pay out to you. And by law, they have to pay out a certain percent of all the money they bring in. Yeah, it's a really good explanation. So I, I will give some light or character, and this is not investment advice. Please don't take that and we'll have disclaimers everywhere. But an example of a REIT would be like Kimco Realty. They own 400 shopping centers and they have like, I don't know, 75 million square feet of space that they lease in those shopping centers. So if you wanted to go and buy a share of that, you could do that on the public market. And that is a REIT that is hyper-focused and specialized in what they do. And what they do is shopping centers. You can have REITs for all sorts of different things, but there would be an example. Now, we talked a little bit about real estate ETFs, and I think most people are a little more familiar with that. But for those that aren't, let's uh, catch them up to speed. Let's dive into a real estate ETF and what that is and why someone would want to buy that. So again, a real estate ETF is a lot like a mutual fund, but in this case, it's a mutual fund that buys REITs. So the REIT invests directly in real estate or mortgages. The real estate ETF is going to then invest in multiple REITs. So another word for it might be a fund of funds. Some people are familiar with those from choosing things in their 401k, like a target date mutual fund. So if you buy a real estate ETF with that one investment, you can participate in multiple REITs rather than focusing on just one asset. And like the REITs, you can buy and sell them on the open market for the most part. Yeah. I mean, great example here would be everyone talks about Vanguard and loves Vanguard. So Vanguard's real estate ETF, which is V&Q. Again, this is not telling you to go buy this. Just want to give you an example. If you wanted to go see what a real estate ETF would be, basically it's investing stocks that are issued by REITs to purchase office buildings, hotels, shopping centers, all that other kind of real property. So you can go check them out to see what a real estate ETF would look like. And then we come to the last one, which I've become more and more a fan of this type of investment because this feels somewhat passive. The other ones are, are passive, of course. This one, you have to, of course, do some vetting before you put your money in. But then once you do, obviously, it becomes very passive. But let's talk about real estate syndication and what that looks like. So real estate syndications, it's a little bit like uh, crowdfunding. So think of it as crowdfunding for real estate, but on a bigger scale than some of the things you're going to see online. It's a group investment in a property that's too large for any one of the investors to buy a loan. Now, the nice thing about this is there's no mystery 
as to what the investors are buying. So you know what you're getting for your money. You can ask questions about the property. You can even get the details of it up front before you commit your capital. The investor has the right to get a portion of the profit from that property. And that's usually laid out in detail in something that we'll talk about later called the PPM. You don't have to manage the property. You don't worry about the legal stuff, the taxation, accounting, all that. That's done by professionals. So once you've done your due diligence, the rest is very passive. And we've done a whole show vetting a multifamily sponsor and syndicator before when we had Vina Jetty with Enzo Multifamily on talking about that. So if you want to learn more about specifically vetting a sponsor, I want you to go check out that show uh, that we did in 2019. Now, there's differences in syndication, whether it's an LP or GP, and these kind of terms get thrown around. And I think it'd be helpful for those that really are just learning about syndication here. What are the differences between the two? So the GP is basically the boss. The GP is also called the sponsor. That's the person who's doing the majority of the work. They'll go out, they'll find the deal. They will do their due diligence and vet the deal. They will set up the financing and they're going to run that property going forward. Eventually, they're going to sell it and refinance it to pay out the investors. The investors are the limited partners. And just think of it as your role is very limited right? So the investors, that's your average person that's investing money into the deal. And once their due diligence is done in the beginning, that's essentially the end of their responsibility. So it's, uh, you can tell why vetting someone is actually a really good idea because they are, as you said, the boss. And it's a big, big deal when you're going and making sure that you're choosing the right horse and you're the jockey, right? You want to make sure you're, you're riding one of the winners in that case. You mentioned crowdfunding a couple of times. Actually, I referenced it a ton on the show over the last few years about these crowdfunded real estate sites, Realty Shares, Fundrise. Was it Equity Mogul? I think so. And the reason why I am not a huge fan of those is because they all kind of spawned after 2008 and the real estate crisis. None of them have experienced a downturn. Uh, Realty shares had problems in a very strong bull market. And so I kept saying like, hold off, don't make any investments. I know we've had a lot of clients talk about it, getting exposure to real estate. I have not made any exposure into that type of real estate because I just don't believe in it. I want to see what happens during COVID, this downturn, if any of them actually survive. I know that there's lots of issues. And so syndications are another way to basically do this, but in a, I think a much safer way, you're going to know a lot more about the deal. You're going to know a lot more about who's involved in the deal as you invest in these versus just crowdfunded real estate, which scares the crap out of me, honestly. So there's some similarities between REITs and syndications and real estate ETFs. And there's also some major differences. And so I think let's tackle the similarities because I think that is much smaller, but then let's go into the differences. Well, the main similarity is that all three of these are passive. Once you make the decision on which one or all of them, if they belong in your portfolio, that's the end of your work. You don't have any influence over the decision making, whether it's a REIT, a real estate ETF, or a syndication. The other similarity is kind of the opposite side of the coin. You're exposed to the risk that the person in control makes an error. So in the case of a syndication, that's the sponsor. Or if it's a REIT or an exchange-traded fund, that's the portfolio manager. So your success really depends on someone else's expertise. And that's always been the issue with those that are in the single family camp, right? They say, I want to invest in real estate and I want to touch what I own and I want to be the boss and I don't want to deal with anyone else but me. So 
live or die by this investment. It is on me to do that. And we should probably have you back on to talk about single family versus basically passive investing in, in syndications in that. But I know because we both are, have been owners of single family and we both have been owners of syndications. So let's not go into too much detail there with that. But let's talk about some of the differences with syndications, REITs, and funds like V&Q at Vanguard. Sure. There's quite a few differences. I would say one of the first ones, and I won't spend too much time on this because everybody's situation is different, is the taxes, right? So if you invest passively in real estate, you're going to be taxed differently depending on what you choose to buy. If it's a syndication, for example, you're going to get something called a K-1. And the K-1 is going to report the income that you've earned from the syndication. But that's net of depreciation. So although you may receive a certain dollar amount from this indication every month or every quarter, the amount reported to the IRS on this K-1 will be usually lower because of your depreciation. So that's, that's one big difference. And those gains are often taxed as long-term capital gains because most of the money in this indication usually comes towards the end. Now, if it's a REIT, that's very different. So the REIT is required to pay out a certain amount of their earnings to you. And those REITs, although people tend to think of that payment as a dividend, it's actually not taxed like a dividend, which is an important difference. It's taxed as ordinary income. That's true of the real estate ETFs as well. And the last thing that most high-income professionals like doctors need is more ordinary income on their taxes. It's pretty much the absolute last thing that you want on there. Now, I'm not one to turn down income, right? I want everyone to make as much as they possibly can. But if you're going to make income and you had the ability to select what type of income, ordinary income is the least favorable, I should say, in this. Now, if it's ordinary income or no income, go with ordinary income all day long. But it's the least, I think, favorable from a tax standpoint on that. Now, a lot of the people that listen who are somewhat knowledgeable in this are going to talk about liquidity and that there's a big difference in liquidity. And I think that's really, really important to drive home here is the differences in liquidity between the three. Right. And that's that's probably the biggest one. So if I have a REIT or a real estate ETF and I want to get in or out, I can do that in just a few seconds. You go online, you log into Vanguard, Schwab, whatever you use, and it's very quick. You're not locked in. You can quit whenever you want. A real estate syndication is very different. So it's not publicly traded. You can't hop on a website and get rid of it. And you often can't get rid of it at all. You have to wait until the deal runs its course, even if you'd prefer not to. Now, that can be good and bad. You know, if you're someone that tends to make snap decisions, that doesn't always work out well with investing. So it can force you to stay in an investment and see it through to the end and get a better return. On the other hand, if something happens and you need that money, you can't get it out. But I would argue if you do think you're going to need that money, you shouldn't be locking it up into any illiquid investment. You're not investing your emergency fund. You're not investing your vacation fund. You're not investing anything that you may need. This is true investments. And this goes along with any investment and not just what we're talking about here with real estate. If you need any money in the near future, you do not invest that money. Exactly. Right. I've seen lots of people asking, hey, should I go put my emergency fund that I've got now six months worth, which is, by the way, congrats. That's awesome. Should I go put that into stocks? No, it is an emergency fund. If you need to invest some of it, then realize that it's not an emergency fund. Maybe you have too much emergency fund and 
fine, go and invest it. But you're investing for the long term. This is not a short-term play. So liquidity does kind of rear its ugly head here on the syndicated side versus the others because the others are very quick, like selling any stock. Uh, But there's, I think, a big difference. But this is where I think syndication is preferable is how you can actually know your asset, right? You know what you're buying in that case. So I think it's a good distinction to maybe talk a little bit about how you know what you're doing, at least with a syndicated deal. Right. There should be absolutely no mystery about what you are investing in when you get a syndication. When you do your first syndication, if you've never done one before, you're going to get more information than most people want, right? They're going to tell you a lot of details about the number of units, the price they've paid, financing, rents, their plans for refinancing, renovations. You're going to have a lot of information. If you're investing in a REIT or real estate ETF, that's not necessarily true. You can look at their prospectus and get an idea of roughly what percentage they invest in different types of real estate or in different REITs. But that's likely all the information you'll ever have. And that's not for everyone. So what other differences are there? And I could think maybe of a a couple more, but I'm going to let you run with this here. What are some other differences between the three? One that comes up, I think a lot for most people is the minimum investment. And I think that's why so many people do invest in REITs, ETFs, crowdfunding, because you can take 500 bucks, throw it into something and feel like, hey, I'm in, I'm in real estate, I'm in the market, right? But my opinion on that is you kind of get what you pay for. If you need to raise capital $500 at a time, it makes me think, how good is that deal really if you have to raise capital $500 at a time? So yes, your minimum for a reader and ETF is lower, but I personally think there's a reason behind that. Most syndications have minimums around 50,000. Some are less, some are more, but roughly 50,000. So for residents that are listening, like, yeah, that's my whole salary. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about what you should be investing in, in at this point, right? This is, and if you are going to invest in real estate or want some exposure and you're just learning and real estate ETFs, our perfect avenue to start that piece. It's okay to be inside that. It's okay to have it as part of your 401k if your risk tolerance allows you. Again, this is not investment advice. But really what we're referencing here, I think, Kathy, what you're referencing is like once you're an attending, you're trying to actually allocate your investments of after you've done all the right things, right? You've got your emergency, you've paid down your debts, you're doing all this good stuff, you have extra money left over. Now, how do you do it? And this is where we come into basically the minimum investment size and why it matters on the syndicated versus the other two. I was going to go with kind of fee structures, right? Being always fee sensitive to what's happening and what people are buying. These are very, very different products or investment products, if you will. So the fees are going to vary drastically. Why don't you maybe touch a little bit on the fees that kind of occur through each one of those? Right. Uh, So for REITs and real estate ETFs, usually the fees are going to be laid out in the prospectus that you can see before you buy it. Whereas the syndication, they're going to have the fee structure in the PPM. And as you said, they're, they're very different. So in a syndication, there's going to be a lot of fees like acquisition fees and disposition fees, which are fees paid to the boss, the general partner or the sponsor. Then they may have an asset management fee for actually running the deal. And then there's also a different split of the returns, but we'll talk about that later. Then for REITs and real estate ETFs, what's going to happen is most managers are paid a base salary, which is proportionate to the assets that they manage. And then there's some kind of bonus structure in place if they do well. 
So the fees are pretty different for syndications and REITs versus ETFs. So for the REITs and ETFs, you can see what the fees are before you buy them. If you look at the prospectus, which should be available on Vanguard Schwab, wherever you're going to buy it from, it's going to lay out the type of fees that you're going to pay. It's usually a percent of what you're investing. The syndications, on the other hand, are going to have individual fees broken out. Again, you're going to know what they are. There's no mystery there. And they're going to have fees like an acquisition or disposition fee, which is for when they buy or sell the asset. And then maybe fees like an asset management fee for running the assets. So they're both roughly a percentage of what you're investing, but how they're broken out is pretty different. Yeah, I think they're really different the way that they're actually broken out. And the easy ones to tell are going to be the REITs and the real estate ETFs, legally how they disclose things. I mean, you could literally go on Google, type in, and again, I'm using V&Q just to make this easy as an example. This is not what I'm telling you to go buy, but you can type in V&Q Morningstar, Morningstar pops up, or you can even go to Vanguard's site. You click the button that says fees and it tells you the expense ratio. It's right there in your face. Really easy to understand. This is where investing syndications gets a little more complicated. You have to read through that PPM, understand what you're investing in. This is part of that due diligence that I referenced before in the other show that I went through and kind of did a deep dive on that. But with that, increased fees usually come with outsized returns. And so the typical real estate funds are earning, where was it roughly about 10%? in the markets over a long period of time. This is not yearly by any means. Whereas syndications usually earn a, I'd say, significantly higher return inside of that. So let's talk a little bit about returns and what we would expect to, I guess, see with the syndication side, as I just kind of mentioned the read piece. Sure. Well, just just for comparison purposes, the S&P, you know, maybe excluding the last few months, has earned about 10% a year over time, over the last 30 to 40 years. REITs have done a little bit better in that time period, a little bit closer to 12. The real estate ETFs, it's a little tougher to say because they are newer, but given that they invest in REITs, you would think that their returns should be similar, but they will be lower because they're going to charge you fees on top of that. Now, syndication, the returns vary more, but of course, the goal is that with the illiquidity and the higher investment minimum, you'll have a better return in the end. So a syndication return, you're shooting for more like 8 to 20%. Of course, you're hoping for the higher end. The one tricky thing for some investors with syndications is you can't just hop online and look up a database of past syndication returns, right? Because these aren't publicly traded investments. It'd be so much easier if you could. Wouldn't it be nice? So that is the ballpark, 8 to 20% that most syndications expect, I would say 10 to 15 is more typical. Yeah, I think that was a great way to put it. I just uh, popped into, I just typed V&Q just because I was now curious. It was Inception is in September 2004 at 7.52%, according to when we were actually recording this in late May. Obviously, it's had an interesting year, right? It's down about 18% year to date. So it's had a rough ride this year, along with pretty much everything else in the markets. But I think this was a good overview. And again, this is not, we're not talking the basics of real estate investing. This is kind of the 2.0 strategy. And Kathy, when they're trying to figure out with syndications and where to go and how to find some information, I have been so thankful for all of the contributions you've given financial residency. You've been writing certain blog pieces. You write all of our real estate stuff, really. 
for the uh, the blog and now bringing you back on the podcast, which is fun. But where else can they learn about what you're doing, how you're investing, how they can maybe start investing in real estate if they were interested in the really the syndicated route? Sure. Well, they can check out my website. It's uh, rica.io. So it's R-Y-C-A.io. And I have some information there about syndications and just real estate generally. Of course, they can always reach me through the website. Yeah. And there's a lot, again, content on financialresidency.com around real estate investing. We're rebuilding the whole website, which is going to be so fun. I can't wait till this is out and done because it's been months in the making for all of you to be able to really get some real deep dives on certain pillars of finance. And one of those, Kathy has provided pretty much the content, even though I love real estate and I'm the oddball in my family. Everyone does real estate, uh, but me, they think I'm crazy dealing with personal finance. But Kathy has been amazing to write a lot of that content for us. So check it out at financialresidency.com. If you're interested in talking with Kathy or getting to know the syndication side, I encourage you to go check out rica.io. I love everything you're doing over there. So I've partnered with you to get some more information out. And I love the articles that you're writing for us on Financial Residency. So thank you for that as well. Thank you. Well, I hope you guys really enjoyed that show. I think it is fascinating to talk to really, really smart people. I love what she's doing. I've invested with it and I love syndications as you guys heard. I love real estate, of course, uh, along with everything else that goes along with money and finance because I am a money nerd, of course. So for our quick community update, you know, there's a lot happening in the world right now. That's why it's even more important to stand up to what we know is right. If you're part of the physician community, we took a stand together to show our support for the black community and other people of color who have unjustly impacted by racism, violence, and prejudice. You don't deserve it. And as a community, we won't tolerate it. Please always feel free to lean on the community to support you, encourage you, and hear you. I'm listening. We're all listening. And if you need to reach out to me, please do so. I'm here for you. Now, before we end, it's time for that important disclaimer. I really want you to take control of your finances so much that your friends won't even recognize you. But the only way to do that is by being smart with the information you learn. Now, please realize that this podcast is educational only, and that's it. I only give advice to clients who I actually work with, and I'm guessing you're not one of them. If you are, awesome. I love you. Even if you're not, I still love you. But I'd love for you to be one if that's the case. So come on over, join us at physicianwellservices.com. But honestly, I don't think you should take advice from anyone on the internet, podcasts, anyone who doesn't know you and your situation. So again, if you're looking for an advisor, we'd love to talk to you at physicianwellservices.com or make sure that you talk to someone who knows your situation before implementing anything that you learn. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll see you on Friday. Cheers. Cheers.